thanks again. Uh, Doug Flutie on our podcast right now. Super hyped. Uh, football legend. Uh, Boston hero. So, Doug, thanks again, man. Thanks for joining. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Glad to join. Uh, so maybe uh, just tell us a little bit about how you got into football. Maybe talk a little bit about your childhood and uh, whatnot. I was, when I was a kid, I lived down in Melbourne Beach, Florida. Actually, I'm back there now. Um, and we were outdoors all the time, so I did nothing but play sports 24 hours a day. It was nonstop. And mm. I was always undersized at the Pop Warner level, undersized in high school level, everything else. I got up to the Boston area for high school. And uh, my athleticism carried me through you know mm. coaches were afraid to put me on the field because i weighed like 160 pounds in high school and gonna play varsity as a sophomore because of my athleticism right. but thought i'd get killed but um for some reason i could just pick up a football and throw it like a baseball and just let it rip you know so right. i got opportunities and things happened and i was very fortunate to get a division one scholarship very fortunate i in fact talking about unh you um I almost went to UNH. It was really my only scholarship offer. Mm, really? uh, it was either, either going to be that or I was going to go to an Ivy League school. And at the last minute, Boston College ended up offering me. Wow. Wait, so so it was really between, So you were really considering UNH? No doubt about it. I was either going to go Harvard or Brown if I went Ivy League, but I really couldn't afford to do that because there's no scholarship in Ivy League. Mm. And I needed the scholarship. We, we didn't have a dime. I didn't have money as a kid. You know, our family, you know, it was one of those, you're paycheck to paycheck, fighting to make ends meet. And then uh, Boston College actually offered a couple of big recruits that went elsewhere. One went to Syracuse, the other one ended up going to Holy Cross. Mm. And so they needed to bring in a quarterback, and it was late in the recruiting season, so they just offered me figuring, you know what, he's a good enough athlete. If it doesn't work out, he'll play another position. Mm. Wow, that's that's crazy, man. That's crazy. Hey, you, UNH would have loved you, man, for sure. Oh, hey, <laughs> my visit at UNH was the best. Um, yeah. Jay Miller was a Natick guy. I, I went to Natick High School. Jay Miller played hockey at UNH, mm. and he ended up with the Bruins and all that. Um, but he was a fighter. You know, he was just a brawler. Yeah. He was a, so anyway, um, he was up there at the time. Uh, Boy, I can't. Rick LeClaire, I think, was the kid that the guy that uh, hosted me had yeah. a great recruiting trip up at UNH. My best friend was going to UNH. He went up and uh, was on crew road. So I went up on weekends all the time and visited even after I was down at Boston College. Yeah, wow, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, man, I, I'm, we would have welcomed you with open arms for sure. <laughs> so really appreciate uh, the shout out for sure. Um, so I mean. Maybe talk about like because in high school you played basketball too, right? So like, what what made you um want to commit uh, football full time? Well, I thought I was a basketball player, and uh, I think a lot of the vision and quickness and all that that I had for football came from playing so much basketball. Um, I was recruited, but mostly Division two schools. Maybe Ivy League would let me play basketball, but it seemed like. Well, my only Division One offer came in football, mm. and it seemed like it kind of picked me going to football. I would have loved to have played basketball, mm. um, but the better opportunities came in football, so I went that direction. Whereas at Boston College, I played four straight years. I didn't redshirt, and I left in the spring of my senior year to go play in the USFL for Donald Trump. Donald Trump was my mm. owner, mm. my first boss, 
So I came back to school in the fall to finish up my last semester. I still had a year of eligibility then. Head coach at that time was guy Gary Williams, legendary college basketball coach. And Gary wanted me to play on the hoop team because he just lost his starting point guard. I started working out with him. I asked permission from Trump. He allowed it. And uh, then we were during training or during the camp time had an exhibition game or something and there was a picture in the paper and Trump saw it and he's like called and said you know what I can't let you do this I got too much money at stake if you get hurt yeah. so it didn't work they ended up being a sweet 16 team that year too wow that's crazy so I mean so how, how were you able to like balance like the social life with like all these athletics man I mean that must have been tough I was not a real social guy I was very um, very shy, quiet, kept to myself, um, and as I played, and beca- it became, you know, became a high-profile guy on campus, and the interviews and all that, I had to learn to deal with doing interviews, I had to learn to interact, and uh, I was never, I never drank, never smoked, didn't party, any of that, I was just so locked in on football, I was mm-hmm. so, um, that was my whole life. So it wasn't hard for me. I had a guy, Tom Coughlin, was my offense coordinator in college. Right. And I was the most disciplined I've ever been in my life playing for Tom Coughlin. Right. It was the best thing in the world for me. It really was. Yeah. Do you still stay in touch with him today? A little bit? Or? I do. He's up in the Jacksonville area. Um, I play in his golf tournament every year. And, um, you know, we just maybe shoot a text here or there once in a while. Yeah, uh, he, he had a big, big impact on my career. Yeah, even though I didn't, even after college, I did not interact a lot with him. I was in my career, but uh, he set me on the right path. Right. You yeah. Know that? No, that's that's awesome, man. Um, you know, maybe maybe talk about like so. You, you say you were like locked in on football twenty four seven, especially at the collegiate level. Um, you know what what did you do on your free time then? Was it all still football? Everything. <laughs> Well, once we got our, our free time, video games hadn't hit their stride yet. Mm. <laughs> so it wasn't like you were hanging out in the dorm late night just playing until 3 in the morning. We weren't right. doing that. Um, I was going home on a lot of weekends because my girlfriend, who is now my wife, mm. was at home in Natick. Um, but I played a lot of pickup basketball in the winter. Once, once football season ended, we were at the rec <laughs> complex on campus non-stop basketball intramural basketball they allowed you to do that back then and, yeah you know so uh it was i was just a big kid I, I was always a jock i wasn't you know i really wasn't a party i was a jock and mm. my free time was spent uh in the summers even i still played baseball with my old buddies back in the stamp usual league out in native right so um you know and then you got ready for football season yeah, no, I was just curious, like, you must have been the man on campus, man. I mean, it must have been, you know, you know the social life must have been crazy. All my all my buddies said that, and said <laughs> that over the years, and when we, we get back for reunions and all that, I didn't realize it. I, I was like, I was kind of insecure about who, you know, I was just worried about making it in football and mm. holding my own. I didn't realize the level I was getting to. As far as that, when I was on campus, you know, I was going to class and had my head down, and I, I mean, I talked to people, but I, like I said, I was kind of shy about it, so right, it, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like that. Then, years later, one of the one of the girls that uh, works at NBC now came up to me when I first started working with NBC, and she goes, you know, it was so cool when you won the Heisman, I was down in New York, obviously, 
um, just before the announcement, you could have heard a pin drop across campus. And when they announced it, she said the whole campus erupted. They all came flying out of the dorms. It's like one big part. I yeah. never knew this stuff. I never Absolutely. knew it. I, yeah. You know, that, that, that stuff went on, and I, I guess, you know, that was the way I was viewed on campus. Mm. And I never really realized it. Mm. Yeah, because you were just so locked in, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, one of the probably like the most iconic game of all time in, in collegiate football history uh, was the Miracle Miami game. Uh, you know, you threw the Hail Mary uh, to uh, Gerald Phelan uh, in the final seconds, uh, giving you guys the 45-41 dub. Uh, maybe take us through that moment and, and maybe how that uh, changed your career or, or uh, you know, how, you know what the impact on the BC campus. Yeah. Um, Gerard and I were roommates. Gerard and I, he was my leading receiver throughout our careers together. And uh, we had just a you know, a bond that carried over to the field, you know, just a second, a intuition on the field of knowing what each other's going to do. Um, we had a play at the end of the half against Temple earlier in the year, we ran a Hail Mary and I dropped back. I avoided, rolled right, launched from about the 50 yard line and Gerard caught the thing in the middle of the pack right on the goal line for a touchdown. Mm. So when we called the play, it was understood what we had to do and it was, we were two for three. After we completed that, we were two for three in Hail Marys mm. during the course of the year. Right. So we felt like we had a shot. And uh, there was an inadvertent whistle. And I walked over. We lined back up to run the play again. I walked over and told the tight end to go long down the backside. He was supposed to be in pass protection. Mm. And my plan was to roll right, set, look back, hoping everybody would flow. And have a shot at the tight end. Well, when I rolled right, one of the linebackers had scraped around, and he's running at me, so it was time to launch. And I just threw it to an area. Uh, Gerard got behind everyone. They sat there flat-footed. And he couldn't believe it, because when I moved to the right, they stopped dropping, because they figured I couldn't throw it on the move. Mm. But I reset and launched. And what ended up happening was the free safety was in a position to make a play, but the backside corner drifted across, bumped into him, the ball went through, Gerard saw it just for a split second, he barely saw the ball through the window, <laughs> and he kind of had it on his belly and caught it against his thighs and fell in the end zone. Now Gerard said he didn't know, he didn't know if he was in the end zone or not, but he looked down, he saw paint, and he realized this is a touchdown. Wow. That's and cool. he said, and he still says this to this day in interviews, the first thing he thought is, there's no way in hell they're going to let us get away with this in Miami. And he started looking for play. But he got big piled. He said he almost suffocated the bottom of the pile, all that. <laughs> and the celebration was on. Now, the kicker of all this, and I actually had a picture that I found. They were doing a bunch of, uh, it's 35th anniversary of the past, doing mm. a bunch of pieces on it. And I found a different camera angle. Right. The tight end is all by himself at the 10-yard line on the back side. If I had looked back... <laughs> Yeah, he would have walked. He would have walked in. Oh my God, that's that's that is like that's crazy, man. I mean, like so, you know, take take us through like that moment after the throw. Like, were you just like so hyped? Like, I mean, could you even remember like after? Like, were you like, oh, did he catch it? Did he not catch it? I mean, what was going on through yeah, your I, head? I mean, my vision. I saw their guys go up for the ball, and about a bunch of bodies just fall to the ground. Mm. And I assumed initially it was incomplete, that it was like a split second, and I saw an official's arms go up. 
and I go, you gotta be, I just started oh laughing. <laughs> I started laughing. I started, I started to run towards the pig pile, but I never got there. I ended up jumping into, um, one of our offensive linemen, Steve Trapillo, mm. uh, jumped into his arm. There's kind of an iconic shot of me in his arms. And, uh, actually Steve passed away at the age of 42 and his son, who looks just like him, mm. is now a recruit at Boston College and is going to BC as an wow. offensive lineman. Um, but then, you know, as the celebration went on, I looked for Bernie. Bernie Kozar and I were pretty good friends. He was quarterback of the other team. And uh, he had headed straight to the locker room. And I ran into a bunch of guys and just started glad-handing on the field. I didn't know who caught the ball until probably five minutes, ten minutes later. <laughs> when I started... I started to go towards the locker room, and I stopped, and our strong safety guy named Dave Pereira was giving me a big hug. I said, who the hell caught the ball? Yeah, it's like it was Gerard, and I said, well, that figures. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's insane. So you, you you literally had no idea. You just hucked it up, and you were just... I, I threw it towards Gerard, and I threw it into the area that I was supposed to throw it. Mm, yeah. And, uh, and, and you were... Say, another, thing, another thing that was really instrumental in making it happen we lined up, and they had press coverage on Gerard and Troy Stratford, and a wide receiver out here, Kelvin Martin, was the guy that was uncovered and was going to get down the field first, mm. and he was our fastest receiver. Then the inadvertent whistle happened, and the guy that was over Gerard decides, you know what, this other guy's probably a bigger threat. Mm. Walked out and jammed him, leaving Gerard to be the guy that was completely uncovered, could run down free, mm. and uh, Gerard... The video of him running down the field looks like a guy running a marathon. He was just chugging. Yeah. He was so tired at the end of the game. He was not running fast. That's and insane. he just got there and That's just chugged his way down the field. I mean, what did you do? You remember like what you guys did that night? Like, what was the energy in the locker room like? I mean, the energy in the locker room is crazy, and there's a bunch of raw footage of it that refreshes. When I met up with Gerard uh, in the locker room, I mean, we were close friends anyway. We had roomed together for four years and all that. Mm. And, I mean, you know, it was kind of, <laughs> it was just a big, big hug. We were way too close. Like, we were like nose-to-nose talking to each other. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and just, we couldn't stop smiling in the video. And then we, the Gatorade mass happened in the locker room. And Gerard... Gerard was all, you know, he's all in, ah, you know, they dumped, they had to track me down and drag me under the Gatorade, it was freezing, but I acted like I liked it, and all that, um, it was, uh, it was just a lot of memorable moments as far as all that, and when we got back to Boston and landed, now this is college football in Boston, Boston right. is a pro sports town, right, right? yeah, Celtics, Bruins, Patriots, Red Sox, I mean, that's it, we were back even even as good as we were, we were still backstage, back, you know. Yeah, no, yeah, it's a, yeah. There were like ten thousand people at the airport when we landed. Um, they had yeah. to shove Gerard and I, and we met up with our girlfriends, our wife. Both of us married our our college girlfriends. Mine right, was yeah. high school, and um, they shoved all of us into a state trooper's car. People, it was like Beatles stuff, pounding on the doors, and, and the, well, while the rest of the team's getting on the team bus. They shoved us into the state trooper's car and got us out of there. And uh, I think when we landed at the airport, we realized this is a little bigger than we thought. That's crazy. So were you were you overwhelmed by that, like, energy? Like, you know, as a shy guy, you know? Yeah. It was just, you couldn't stop smiling. Yeah. And it was just, it was wild. We, we enjoyed the moment. We really did. Yeah, I know. And that, uh, that week, they 
they came out with um, Sports Illustrated. I was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and that became that became the Christmas gift on campus. So during the week, I'm, I've got like no lie, two thousand Sports Illustrated stacked in in my dorm room, our apartment, which was a mod at the time, um, with notes on them of who to sign them to, for who. And people would come back by a couple of weeks later and pick them up, and they were the Christmas gift that year on campus. Wow, that's and it was just stacked up in your dorm room, right? Oh, like I, every every I couldn't keep up. I'd sign a hundred a day or something, and they were just stacked. They yeah. were. Oh. Yeah. Gee, yeah, I mean, I I just can't even imagine because as a college student right now, like I could barely handle academics as is. Like I can't even imagine like not even being. A collegiate athlete but to be like a high profile you know player and managing academics like i wouldn't even be able to focus man like i would be like you know i feel like all day i'd be looking at those sports illustrated covers and like i'd just be like writing all day you know so it got that week that week i had the sports illustrated cover uh we played holy cross that week i played terribly we beat them and we beat them soundly but I was like all over the map because right after the Holy Cross game, I got on a plane, flew to New York for Heisman. Their Heisman stuff was going on. The the signing those autographs, it became a, the, the height of my popularity as far as having to sign autographs and take pictures. Um, I just wanted to get back to my dorm room. I just wanted to get back with my buddies on campus. And, and you, I got invites for like Letterman and Johnny Carson at the time, which was late night. Um, and it was just a whirlwind. I was exhausted. I wanted to get back, just get ready to play the bowl game and, and play football. Yeah. And, you know, even in classes, right, people were probably trying to mob, mob around you too, or no, not so well, much? Well, you know what? Classes were normal. That, that uh, maybe walking around, we were getting to Christmas break. We got through finals. Um, and then I never went. I didn't go to school my se- my spring of my senior year because I went to the USFL and played in the spring. Mm. So I came back the following fall, took three classes to finish up, and it was it was not bad. It, it wasn't as crazy. Actually, the best was being a normal student the, mm. and getting to class and being around the, the 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 students on campus, whether it was in the dining hall or whatever. That was normal to me. It was mm. all the other outside stuff that right. wasn't normal. Yeah, no, that's insane. Because you know, a week later, right? You were you were after the Miami game, right? You were voted as the Heisman winner, right? So were you? You know, this was all coming so fast. Like, were you surprised or more, like, or did you know like right after that Miami game, like that sealed the deal for you to yeah. be the Heisman? My my junior year, I finished third in the Heisman as a junior, hmm. and early in the season, early in the season, we played Alabama at Alabama and had a. Re- ridiculous comeback beat him 38 31 i had a great game and that made me the front runner from the beginning and then i had about three or four nationally televised games that i had great games and at by that miami game it was kind of mine to lose mm. and then when i completed the pass and all that happened it was like i almost started to worry because everybody's telling you you're gonna win you're the front runner most of the season I'm like, started looking at my wife like, what if what if I don't win this? Then it's almost to the point where it's embarrassing. Mm. So that, that became the fear. The fear became not winning it. Um, but uh, when it was announced, well, they did, I'll run you through the day. We played Holy Cross. 
Sprinter did a post-game interview on the field where it got mobbed. Did like 10 minutes of interviews in the locker room and got changed and got the heck out of there. Uh, my wife, my family, and I got in a van, got to the airport, got on a private jet right away, flew to New York, landed in Teterboro over in Jersey. My wife and I got in a helicopter from there to go over to the city. We had a little extra time, so they did like a tour of the city and did a lap. Right. We landed at a heliport, jumped in a limo, and went across the street to the downtown athletic club. They took us upstairs to a suite where they had food and stuff waiting for me, and I had to be downstairs in 20 minutes. Mm. And I was all nervous about whether I wanted it or not. My wife looks at me and she goes, you think they would have done all that to get you here? If you didn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah. What? That, that is yeah. crazy. Wow. I think about it. I was 22 years old, you know, and I, I was a, like I said, I was a shy kid, so I, I just turned 22, and uh, this was all brand new to me, and it was, it was a whirlwind. I, uh, like, like you said, man, like, I don't know how, like, as a shy kid, you know, like, how, how do you even handle all that pressure? How do you even handle all that attention, you know, with the, with the press well, all over you at that young age? It's, I, I, I hated that part. I really did. I didn't like doing all the interviews. I didn't like being on camera and all that. And when I got on the field, vacation, that was my playground. When I got to play, mm. I was most, you know, that was where I was most comfortable. And uh, I just went out and, I, you know, I, I thank Tom Coughlin because he made, he made practices so tough. Mm that the games seemed easy and mm. really enjoyed just playing the games. Right. Yeah, no, because, uh, you know, it's interesting because, you know, Tom Coughlin, you know, he was a great coach too, but it's interesting to hear what you, you know, how he impacted your game as well, you know. Um, great coach in the NFL. Um, you know, you were, you were drafted in the 11th round by the Rams. Uh, you know, even after your college success, some people, you know, were, were sort of doubting you. How, how did you stay motivated? You know, there were some people saying, oh, he's too small and all this. I mean, you killed it, man. I mean, you killed it in college yeah. and you proved them wrong. But, I mean, how did you, how did that keep you motivated at that stage? What happened was I was, because of my size, there was a lot of uncertainty of what was going to get drafted. Was anywhere from a first rounder to a fourth rounder, I, and all this feedback, and the USFL, this new, and it was a key that been guaranteed. So I went on a tenth draft, my right. Well, I played in this other league here that could another Jim Everett report. So in the Holden. Me over to Buff or uh, Chicago, and I went and played with the Bears. Rear here, I um trying to work around. You know, I do what wanted it done. He picked a pocket passer, and I was a border. And I had moments, and I did well at times, and able to. But that man, the Canada played him. The Canada. Had a lot of success, and then when I came back to the end, I knew I did well. I had a lot more confidence than successful, and it's if you haven't built in Buffalo. Hmm. Yeah. No. Sorry, you broke up a little bit. So, um, can you hear me all right? Uh, or? Fine. 
You can hear me? All right, yeah. For some reason, yep. uh, you were breaking up a little bit, so we couldn't. I couldn't hear too much. Um, but yeah, I mean, I heard you okay, say. Well, the, the premise there, the number one thing was that my early years in the NFL, I got labeled as a backup quarterback. I went to Canada and had a lot of success. And when I came back to the NFL, what I did well, and I had the confidence to throw that happened in Buffalo. Yeah, no, I mean, you had a great career. I mean, ah. yeah, is it is it affecting you too? A little bit there. I'm, I'm back. You're back. All right. Are we all right? Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm good. Can you hear me? Yep. Ah. Well, Going in. Uh, let's see. Uh, so, uh, so in, we're all good. All right. So in all, in, in terms of uh, you know, you spent eight years in the Canadian Football League. Um, you know, maybe talk about the difference between the United States Football League, the Canadian Football League, and the NFL. Maybe what, what was yeah. the uh, differences there? Do you think? The XFL was very similar to NFL. We had Trump as an owner, so we had we played in Giant Stadium. We had a great fan base, and we had a ton of talent. That was that was NFL style football. Canadian League. All of a sudden, I got banned shotgun. We were spreading people out. They trusted me to call my own plays, mm-hmm. and it was like running offense all game long. And I was just wheeling and dealing and slinging it. And yeah, you know, receivers got open up there. There's a little more space on the field and all that. But I think I basically what the NFL is doing now, like Drew Brees and Brady, when they get into spread stuff and just go and wheel and deal, that's what we were doing up there 20 years ago. Mm. And uh, you know, you, you put the defense on when it's you aggressive, get them tired, and just throw the ball all over the place. Yeah, no, I mean, you mentioned uh, in 1998 you signed with Buffalo. That year you went to the Pro Bowl. Uh, you were you win NFL Comeback Player of the Year. How good did that feel? You know, winning, you know, having such a successful year with Buffalo, proving those people wrong that you could play in the in the league. It was a it was a great feel, no doubt. I I've always had a chip on my shoulder since I was ten years old, and always uh, I hear all the doubters, and it, it motivates me, no doubt. So when I first came to Buffalo in training camp, it took a little while to adjust to. Game and I, I didn't have a great camp, but my last preseason game, I had a really, really good game, mm. and I was starting to figure it all out. And the opening day game was out in San Diego, and starter got hurt, and I went in and threw a couple of touchdown passes, drove us down for the winning field goal at the end, and we missed the field goal. Mm. But I knew then I was like, all right, it's on. Okay. I knew. Uh, this is going to work. I can do this. It's great. I felt comfortable. And it was on. So uh, it's when I got notified that I was going to Pro Bowl towards the end of that year, actually Bruce Smith walked up to me in the locker room because he had an inside track and, and let me know ahead of time, like a day before. Right. And that was kind of the crowning moment of validating, yeah, I'm back. This is going to work. This that's, is awesome. That's awesome. That's incredible. Um you know, that, that must have been, like, so hype, you know, because people were like, oh, you know, can you play in the league? And then you proved them wrong. You get the in the Pro Bowl, NFL Comeback Player of the Year, so unreal. Uh, and then in 2001, you signed with the Chargers. And then in 2002, Drew Brees, uh, you know, comes onto the roster. 
and, and he actually credited you as his mentor, uh, you know, throughout uh, for his, for his success in the NFL. Maybe talk about your relationship with Drew Brees at the time when you guys were on the same team. Absolutely loved Drew. The first year me up, and the second year he tried to take over, or you know, they made him the starter, and he struggled. And I came off the bench and had some really good games. And I think the, the number one thing that I taught, taught Drew, I think, at that time, was take ownership in the offense. Have a say in the play. Have a, have a say in the play. Mm-hmm. And he saw, especially when I became the backup, um, I cut down, I, I, I went to the office and said, hey, if I play these are the plays i want you to run i didn't like getting too complicated i liked running the stuff like i knew like the back of my hand so i wasn't thinking too much we could just ball and i think drew really took to that he came back the next year and he was a different guy he was um you know was one of the first guys that started like they were before right. really got in christian his rookie year you know, part of it is he wasn't playing, so when you're watching the film, you get bored. Um, you know, Drew was ready to fall asleep in meetings. Drew was like, you know, this is tough. This and <laughs> the next year, he was the most disciplined guy on the team. The next year, he was the hardest working, most disciplined guy on the team, and just took off. And someone pointed this out to me, one of my buddies, a couple of months ago. He's like, you know, you're the only quarterback that ever started in front of Drew Brees. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, that's I'll true. That. Okay. okay, Drew was a rookie, but come on. Yeah, I'll no. You'll, yeah, man, that's that's yours, man. Yeah. Own up to that. That's I'll unreal. That's crazy. Um, yeah, and then you also played with, I mean, Tom Brady, too, with the Pats uh, in 2005. So, I mean, was there any difference between playing with Brady and Brees? I mean, you played with two goats. Oh, uh, yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, they were different. Drew was really a lot like Especially because he was young, all about you know, really kick the ball around. Let's have fun, throw the crossbar, mess around, and uh, you know, you take your football serious, but you also have fun while you're doing it. Tom was methodical. Tom was. I always think of Tom as an intellectual that plays football. Mm. He was meticulous in every aspect. Now, Tom really went when we got there. He already won Super Bowls. He was still with Daniel. They had their routine down. They game planned like nobody's business, uh, but he never stopped working it better. You know, you'd, you'd walk in the room on top and watching individual drills of his throwing motion and working on keeping the left elbow tucked and yeah. trying to get more over the top. All those types, he was meticulous, and he still is to this day. He, he because he was drafted later than he felt he should have been. He's had a chip on his shoulder for years. He, yeah. and that's motivated him and Drew to just shut people up and continue to do what no one else has done. Yeah, I mean, that's insane. I mean, you, you guys were all goats, you know? You guys are all, like, legends. And, you know, to think that you guys were all on the same roster together, I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. Um, How about this, Rod? How about this quarterback room? Drew Brees, my, myself, Drew Brees, and Phillip Rivers. We're all in the same quarterback room together. And at the end of our careers, I know a lot of my yards were up in Canada. We're in the mid-50,000s. Both of those guys are 60. I think Drew's 70,000 now. Yeah, no, it's so, up there. Uh, 
just crazy. What's crazy. Up, what was that discussion like in the QB room, you know, with all you guys? Um, I was old. I was 42 years old. I was set in my ways. I was the salty dog. I, I, I didn't like stuff. I like, give me my stuff. I know I'm set in my ways. So Drew went out, and he, uh, guy, I don't know where it was. He was on vacation somewhere, a beachy, maybe it was an island or something. Salty Dog Cafe, and they had a Salty Dog Cafe football. Right. He came back with it, put it in the meeting room, and made whoever had a miserable day who complained too much had to sign the book data. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we all had our moments. I, by far and away, had most signatures on that ball. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's hilarious, man. That's like, that's crazy. I mean... You, what's Philip Rivers like? I mean, is he, what's he Phil like? Was, Phil's a good guy. Phil was, um, uh, he's a family man first. He's, uh, he's got kids. Um, he was soft-spoken at the time. He was only a rookie. Um, the thing that stood out to me about Philip was he really didn't know the offense yet when we were first starting out the first mini camps. Mm. Yet every time he got blitzed, um, whether he realized he was going to be, whether he realized the actual hot route or what was going on, he felt it mm. and reacted. And the ball was out. The ball was out quick and to the right guy had a feel. Mm. And that's what stood out to me about Drew or about uh, Philip yeah. as a rookie. Um, always thought he had an ugly throw option, yeah. but he was very accurate with the ball. He put it where he had to put it, and uh, he didn't play while we were there. You know, he was backing up Drew and I, but uh, or Drew and me. So, um, you know, he got his chance after after Drew left. Yeah, no, that's that's crazy, man. What what a spectacular career. I mean, and and, and you know, with your time with the Patriots, I did want to get to um, you know, the time when you drop kicked the football against Miami. You and Miami, man. You and Miami. <laughs> uh, you know, something that hasn't been done since 1941. You drop kicked the football for an extra point. What was your initial reaction when Bill Belichick made that call? Um, the day he did it, I was very surprised. We had talked about this a few weeks earlier. It was actually Carmen He told Belichick that I could do it because he'd seen me messing around and I did it. And told Belichick, look, this hadn't been done since 1941. It'd be really cool. Bill's a great of the game. He wanted to do it. We had planned on doing it against the Jets on a Monday night, but it ended up not working out. We didn't do it. And totally forgot about it for a couple of weeks. I was standing next to Bill. We were down by 14 points, and a meaningless Castle was playing because he wanted to figure out if Castle could play or not. Mm. Um, and we we're about to score, and he looks at me. I just happened to be standing next to Bill. He goes, hey, we score here. You kick it. And I go, are you see? He didn't get the sentence out of his mouth, and we were in the end zone. Now, I'm 43 years old at the time. <laughs> I've been standing on the sideline for four hours. I'm sitting <laughs> board, haven't stretched out. Here, can't go kick it. I grab him out of an equipment in his hands and I kind of punch one up towards the stand just get this game jog out. I thought I was going to pull a hammy. <laughs> and uh, we lined up to do and uh, I'm so okay maybe it surfaced they wasted I started the whole sideline was waving me back out. Brady, Bruski, Belichick they're like doing the 
this, right? Yeah. I turn around, the guy, guys in the huddle, they, they had all won Super Bowls before. Mm-hmm. And they were like little kids at Christmas. They knew what we were going to do. This is exciting. Da, da, da. And uh, there's a lot of little stories that go on. Anyway, I hit the kick. It goes through. They rushed me like we just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> and uh, it was just a fun thing to do. I head to the sideline, and I go to Bill, because he's the one that let me do this. Mm. And I give Bill a, a, give him a hug. Now, Bill's not the most touchy-feely guy in the world. <laughs> it's an awkward kind of. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, glad hand on the sideline. I meet up with my wife and my daughter after the game, and my daughter's like, you blew off Tom Brady on national television. <laughs> Tom came out for a high five. Oh, my God. It kind of became a thing that people started blowing high five. Right, yeah, it became a thing. Yeah, yeah, it definitely did the whole, like, <laughs> that's crazy. And I don't think it's blowing him off. He just, Tom always had awkward and you didn't see it. I yeah, don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah. That's that's so that's hilarious. Yeah, I was wa- I was watching the uh, drop kick again. And you just see like Belichick smile, like you're just dying laughing after it. So I mean, it's just legendary, yeah. man. Legendary. Well, Chris Chris Berman takes full credit for that. Chris Berman takes full credit for it. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Chris Berman, Chris Berman, another another legend, man. He he did a great job calling that. Um, you know, you retired in two thousand five. Uh, you you also became a broadcaster yourself. But before I get to that, um, you know, what was your favorite stint professionally? Was it with the Chargers? Was it with the uh, you know in the Canadian Football League? Was it with the Patriots? The most fun I ever had playing football was in Toronto. Mm. We had a, a great head coach who was very relaxed. We had some veteran players from that league, and I had already known that game by the back of my hand and, and just was wheeling and dealing and having a blast and we won a ton of football games won two championships those were fun 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 years mm. um the most important year and the most enjoyable in the nfl had to be my first year back in buffalo because i became a starter went to the pro bowl we went to the playoffs and i kind of proved myself so from an nfl standpoint that might have been the most enjoyable mm. yeah no that's awesome and, you know, as a, as a broadcaster, too, I mean, you know, you broadcast the games on ESPN. You did some games for Notre Dame. Uh, was that a weird transition, you know, being on the other side of football? or It's a little weird for me. Uh, I love being up in the booth and doing the game because I'm a quarterback again. I'm watching coverage. I'm seeing where the ball should go and all that, uh, watching film the whole bit. Um, but... When we do interviews with coaches and players, you know, that's where you get your information and that's where you get your good stuff. I feel like I'm bothering the player because I know what it's like to be on the other side. Mm. So I try to do it real quick, get what we can and let the kid have his free time, you know, and mm. let the coach get back to what he needs to be doing. And you can't be that way in this business. You got to you gotta hang in there as long as you can. Get all your information out of the guys you can. And um, So that took a little bit doing, but I love uh, the people I work with at NBC, I, I thoroughly enjoy going up and spend three to four days together up in Notre Dame and South Bend, mm. and uh, just a great group, great group to work yeah, with. Yeah, no, it's awesome, man, it's awesome, and then you also did Dancing with the Stars, too, like, uh, a few years after that, right? I mean, I see you. I'm, I'm looking around the room, I'm looking around the room for maybe a little novelty, Dancing with the Stars, thing. I, don't, <laughs> I don't see it. Oh, here you go, here you go, hey. <laughs> let's see it, let's see it. I'm ready. We're, 
here it is. Some hardware. Oh, hey! There you go. Everything had sparkle on it. That's hilarious. That's awesome. Little jersey to wear for Dancing with the Stars. That's awesome, man. You you got some you got some great uh great stuff in that room, you know, to show off. So <laughs> uh, we got here, let's take a little quick tour. Alright, let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, I think you're breaking uh, up a favorite, little bit. Favorite time picture is uh, Brady Belichick and myself. I don't yeah. know if we could. Yeah. That, that's awesome. But um, if you want to know what's off. Getting a tour. This is so cool. Getting a tour of so, Doug Flutie. I'm still a 10-year-old. Okay. I'm still a 10-year-old kid, right? Mm. So... I, I don't know what to say. I, I was an Adam West fan, a Batman <laughs> fan, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I actually have a 1966 Batcave with a Batmobile. Yeah. What? Wait, what? That's... Cr <laughs> that's... What the heck? Wait, so that's... That's the Batmobile? That's, you have a... That's a 1966 Adam West car. You... So you you have a Batmobile basically like that's so cool what that is legendary what that is so awesome we just got it I don't know that we're allowed to call but it is off the original body that hey we're I'll, I'll count it count it as a Batmobile man that's legendary that's so cool that's so awesome man uh yo uh. So thank you so much, Doug, for, for taking the time. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I mean it's been a true honor. Uh, you know, do you visit the BC campus often? You know, I you know I'm living down in Florida now, um, but when I lived in Boston and I was in there playing pickup basketball all the time, I'm around campus a lot. But working in the fall keeps me from getting to a lot of football games. I think I get the one, maybe two games a year up in BC. Mm. Um, if I'm in town during the winter, I get over to a basketball game or a hockey game. I love being around the campus in college. And um, if you get a chance, your viewers, uh, Instagram's at Doug Flutie. And Absolutely. I just, it was funny. I responded on a uh, direct message to one of the young kids that's a student. <laughs> he got so fired up. I got the entire student body now following me. Like, they all <laughs> Hey, yo, so, I'm going to get. Uh, trying, trying to build a little Doug Flutie, right? get everybody on board. Hey, I'm gonna get U and H. I'm gonna get all of U and H to to send you get a follow for sure. I, They're gonna be hyped I up, man. Of, I do a lot of little adventure stuff. I've got a I got a little vehicle called a quad ski. It's a four wheeler that goes in the water, becomes a jet ski. Yeah. And I go back in the canals and do stuff, and I'll go surfing. I'll be out there. I do some fun stuff. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, do you to to wrap it up? I guess. Do you have a favorite moment of your career? Uh, was it whether it's a miracle in Miami, the drop kick, winning the Heisman? I mean, you you got a Batmobile. I mean, I mean, what what, what what's your favorite part of your career, man? What what? what All right, I exclude like the the hail mary and the drop kick are special moments. You know, those mm. are one play things, and they were bookends on my career. Great, but my first championship, mm. I was playing for Calgary. And uh, we win the Grey Cup that year, 
and in the Western Final, which is like an AFC or NFC Championship, the game to go to the Great Cup, we were in minus, like, I don't know, it's probably a minus 20 wind chill, single digits, uh, five mile an hour wind, no, it was a mess. Right. And we had to go 88 yards in a minute with no timeout. Mm. And uh, we, dr- we drive the length of the field, I run it in for the touchdown, and that put us in our first first championship so that I found to me was really, really special I know a lot of people in the states can't relate to it because it was CFL right no yeah but that, that launched that launched what became my great uh, CFL career right yeah no that's that's awesome yeah because it's so it's so interesting because you played in all these different kinds of leagues too so it's really cool to get the, like that perspective you know on, uh, with you on it so Hey, appreciate it, Doug. Uh, I'm gonna tell all of you. I'm gonna tell all of you in age to follow you. I'm gonna get right on it right now. So you may see a big boost. I'm gonna try my best with it. So uh, thank you so much, man. Stay in touch, uh, Doug Flute. Doug Flutie, everybody. A, a Boston hero, a football legend. Uh, he's got the Batmobile. We're ready to go. So thank you so much, man. Appreciate it, and uh, hope you're staying safe and healthy during this time. Uh, go cats. Go cats. Let's go. Let's get it. Alright, have a good one, man. Appreciate it. From the sweet life of Zach and Cody on the sweet life on Drake Bell here. It's your girl Camille Kostek. Shuma Gavin in the house. Shoe nice, okay. Lay Howard from the Los Angeles Lakers. This is a CeeLo Green. The follow at Wild Chat Sports. Wild Chat Sports. Wild Chat Sports. Wild Chat Sports. If Wild Chat Sports. Wild Chat Sports. Peace. Wild Chat Sports, man. Check it out. Love.